from Silicon Valley, California. This is Fresh Dialogues. Today on Fresh Dialogues, we talk to Martin Sheen, hero of Apocalypse Now and West Wing. I caught up with Martin in his dressing room before he took the stage for the second time for the Celebrity Forum series with Dick Henning. I'm here with actor and activist Martin Sheen. Martin, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted. It seems your whole life you've been involved in social issues. Can you tell us about the early days and how that led you to social activism? (laughs) Well, as I was... uh uh, speaking last night, I got a uh, question from the audience after I finished my prepared uh, remarks about uh, how I got started as an activist, and I had to recall my earliest days uh, as a young caddy at the Dayton Country Club in Dayton, Ohio, where I grew up. I was following a long line of brothers ahead of me. I was the seventh son, so there were six guys in front of me, and all of them had caddied at this private club. and. You know, our family came to count on the revenue because my dad was a factory worker, didn't make a lot of dough. And and this money always helped uh, with our tuition and books and clothes through the rest of the year. So every uh, early spring till late uh, fall, we would uh, caddy. Even when we were in school, we'd go out afterwards and uh, caddy at the golf course. So I became quite good at it. And around the age of 14... I became aware of the uh, the injustices that were associated with the work and how low we were on the totem pole. And so I organized a union, and I called out the lads on strike. And uh, it lasted about 48 hours, but it taught me a, an awful lot about um, the culture and my place in it. And it was a very rude awakening. For the first time in the five years that I'd caddied there, I heard the term that I was on private property as Uh. they escorted me off. And so that was a very rude awakening and a very, very important lesson in my life. As a result of being a servant at so young an age, I learned, first of all, how not to treat servants, you know, whether they're uh, waiters or or busboys or or cab drivers. Were you actually treated harshly? Oh, yeah. Well, the worst treatment was they didn't see you. You were uh, a non-entity. You were invisible to Yeah, them. you were invisible. Most of the time they didn't know your name. Uh, they just called you caddy. Uh, very often they used obscene language in front of us. We were little boys, you know. Mm-hmm. I had brothers in the Navy that didn't come home using that kind of language that these guys used, you know. They were vulgar and, uh, and, and, and uh, very abusive. And, and they were... Um, a lot of them were anti-Semitic and racists, and mm-hmm. and and they were, for the most part, upstanding members of the community. You know, they were businessmen, and some of them lawyers, and a lot of doctors, and a lot of wealthy uh, people. They had reputations and uh, and uh, a lot of standing in the community, but they were not a very uh, a very happy bunch of people. And, and even the women. I know you mentioned last night you chose to have your strike. During Ladies' Day, uh, yeah, yeah, even Tuesday, the women, Tuesday did they, did they treat because, you? Because the ladies were not about to carry their own bags. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was wise about uh, choosing the proper but did, day. Did they See, name this call? is before uh, 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 golf carts. There were no golf carts. I'm, right. I'm going back to 1954. That's right. how far back I go. 
so yeah, so it, it had a profound effect. Yeah, a lot of the ladies did not play that day because they couldn't carry their own mm-hmm. sack. You know. But why was it you and not your other brothers that took a stand? What is it about you that makes you feel you've got to take a stand when you're <laughs> doing justice? Just, just lucky, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, they joined me. You know, the mm-hmm. ones that were still working at the time. There were two of them still working. Three that joined me uh, at that time. But uh, when you reached age 18 in my family, you generally went into the uh, army, the navy, the marines, or uh, college, uh, or went off on your own to do something else. Uh, you didn't caddy after age 18. So at the time I called the strike and organized the union, there were only three, three then four. There was one younger than me at the time. So, yeah, they, no, they supported me, yeah. Right. In fact, the last guy to hold out was my brother Alfonso. He became one of my heroes. I adored him for it. And why did he hold out? He just loved me, you know, and wanted ah, to support me. Ah, you know. right. But he knew it was a lost cause. Yes. But then, you know, lost causes are the only causes worth fighting for. So I learned an awful lot. And I think basically I learned that I could never belong to such a, a an organization, anything private. I, I can't belong to a club. I love to play golf. So, so you're not in a no, private No, I ball. cannot belong to anything private. So where do you play? I play at public courses all the oh, time. Okay. And you have to wait forever sometimes. But um, that's the only way I can do it. I, I'll play at a private club for a charity event, you know. Right. But I won't play at a charity, at a private club just, uh, you know, because I'm invited. Uh, right. I just, I, I'm very uncomfortable, you know. Right. Of course, I'm, I'm never comfortable unless I'm uncomfortable. So that's me. And talking about taking a stance in charitable work, you've talked previously about people with a self-focus issue. Now, we're here in Silicon Valley. We're probably surrounded by thousands of Silicon Valley millionaires, some of them very young, probably too too young for so much money. What would you say to these young Silicon Valley millionaires who haven't yet found or developed their social conscience and haven't started giving back? Do you have a message for them? No, I wouldn't... I wouldn't... uh, I wouldn't pretend to know what someone else should do. I, mm-hmm. I, I find preaching to be uh, very ineffective. You know, I think you have to show example by your own life, by your own actions. You do it because you cannot not do it and be yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in preaching to people or telling them what to do. I, I remember um, uh, uh, David Attenborough, the brilliant uh, documentary filmmaker, nature filmmaker yes. in England, Richard's brother, was interviewed one time, and you know he did some of the most uh, 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 life-changing documentaries on nature. He awakened people to mm, absolutely. The, the destruction of the environment, but he never preached. He didn't want people to feel bad watching one of his films about oh how and and preach to them and say oh how awful you are letting this happen to these animals and nature. He just filmed nature naturally and showed it and commented on what was happening and he left it at that but as a result people became involved on their own and so that they owned that energy within themselves it was born in them as a result of what he did but not of what his preaching was all about have you found i i I, I don't i i and then when i find myself preaching I, i i have to become aware of it. Someone has to tell me, you know, shut up. You, I don't know. <laughs> but do you, do you feel me. you've made an impact, you know, by no, showing? I know. I, I, frankly, the, the only one that I have ever influenced in my life is me. I'm, I'm the only one I've ever changed. And believe me, I, I, I never met anyone harder to change than myself. But what about I, your I kids? Uh, no, I, I honestly don't think. I mean, 
by my life, by my mm-hmm. actions, I may have had some uh, influence on them. I'm sure I did. Uh, mm-hmm. Even through osmosis, I had some uh, influence over them. But I, I can't say that I uh, changed them in any positive way. They would be uh, the ones to have to tell you that. I, you know, as far as, uh, you know, young people with a lot of dough and a lot of time and, and, and no focus, social justice focus, is interesting because that's, you know, we talk about the, the young rich man in the Bible who, who came to Jesus and, and wanted to know uh, how he, he should live. And uh, Jesus told him to give up his dough and, uh, you know, and to follow him. And the young man walked away. And, and, and in Matthew's gospel, I believe it is Matthew, who, the narrative says that he looked at the young man very sad. But he, he looked at him with compassion. The young man was very sad. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, you know, I, I, I disagree with uh, the philosophy that you can't buy happiness. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of wealthy people who are very happy, happy as Larry. They buy mm-hmm. all kinds of toys and, and uh, entertainments and luxuries, and they're perfectly happy and contented mm-hmm. and more power to them. What you can't buy and what I've never seen anyone buy is joy. Because joy is very, very costly. And what brings you joy? Yeah. Well, the realization of my own f- flawed humanity, you know, that the great mystery of the universe includes me personally with a profound and uh, divine love. And that permeates everything I do. I believe to the core of my being that I am loved. And if I can be loved, uh, you know, anyone on earth <laughs> is capable of being aware of that they're loved. I think that there's no more important thing to realize than that you're loved. If you're loved, you can, you can have a very, very happy, powerful life. And you mean loved by God or loved by your family? Well, I don't, I don't like to preach. I, I don't know what to call it, God. I, we don't know what God is, do we? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm asking. You know, if you do, tell me, because every explanation that I've ever heard in my life about what God is only succeeded in describing what God is not. Hmm. So I don't know what God is, but I have a, a, a profound, uh, fundamental belief that God is, in fact, for me, love, and that there is a reality there, that I am personally loved. I, I, I know it's true for everyone, if it's true for me, but I can't explain it and I can't make anyone aware of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I can only live my life uh, as a loved, uh, as a beloved person mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and embrace all of life. I, you know, I'm, I'm a big sissy. I, I hate flying. <laughs> I'm always afraid I'm going to die in a plane crash. God forbid. And so I get on a plane, and I don't think about it until I'm on the wretched plane, because mm-hmm. if I thought about it, I'd never go near a plane. Uh, and I, 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 I always get on the plane, and I get my beads out, and I'm praying and making promises until the plane is up safely in the air and, and the, you know, the uh, seat belt sign is turned off and so forth, and I feel more comfortable. And one time, we were coming home from location on the West Wing, and I'd been working all day and night, and I struggled through the airport, got on the plane, and fell asleep immediately. And suddenly, I woke up 
startled that the plane was roaring down the runway and everything was shaking. And there was no time to get the beads. There was no time to say a prayer. And all I said, all I could think of to say was, thank you. It's been wonderful. You thought this was the end. Well, I, I didn't know, but I, I, in, instead of praying, you know, please get the plane up. Oh, please make it safe. Oh, I'll do this. I'll do that if we can only get through this wretched flight. I just said, thank you for a wonderful life. It couldn't have been any better. <laughs> I've been happy all of my life, thanks to you, Lord. And if I make it through this flight, I, I, I give more thanks and pray. If I don't, look after the folks that I leave behind that will be affected by my not coming home. And I leave it at that. I just realized how happy I was and how lucky I was to do the thing that I love the most all of my life, to make a living at it and to be called to service in some small ways here and there along the road and to have been helped so often when I needed it that there was always someone there to lift me up when I fell down. I was lucky enough to be married to a woman who I still don't have a clue, uh, is, you know, just this extraordinary dame that I came to love and and truly love long, long after we were married. I mean, I thought I was in love when I married her, and then I realized that... So it's been, what, 47 years? December 23rd, 1961, so we're in in our 47th year. We met a year before we got married. Uh, That is quite incredible in this day and age. Congratulations. Well, if you knew her, you would... You would question her, her I'd, wisdom. In I'd love to meet with her. Me. Yeah, she's she's just extraordinary. I, 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 I tell the story last night. I got ill in the Philippines, and I damn near died. <laughs> they got me to a hospital, and it was like in the movies. You know, you're, I was on a gurney being rolled through these corridors, and lights are flashing, and faces are coming and going. And this little face uh, came alongside of me and stayed there. And I would look every now and then, and I began to focus on this face. And I realized it was my wife, Janet. And she was running alongside the gurney, just looking at me and holding my hand. And when she realized that I recognized her, she leaned down and whispered in my ear, It's only a movie, babe. <laughs> and I started to get story. well at that moment. At that moment. I That's adore. a wonderful story. I love that. I'm going to tell a story about her tonight. Uh, because a lot of what I speak about is, uh, you know, impromptu. I don't know. Your, your some stories of the are wonderful. <laughs> but I'm going to tell a story about her. She's not Catholic, incidentally. Ha- has no use for any religion, really, you know. Uh, I mean, she respects all religion. And mm-hmm. she's a deeply uh, uh, spiritual person, but of no uh, uh, denomination, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, she just lives her life with as a sign of faith and love. But uh, I'm going to tell a story tonight about our visit to... Uh, uh, to Lourdes in France. Oh, yes. It's one of my favorite stories about her. I'm not going to tell it now. You don't want to no. tell it now. <laughs> oh, I will need to, need to listen to it later tonight. Okay. It's too long. But, but as you're talking there, the Lourdes connection and the Irish connection, I can hear your Irish accent coming out. I know oh, you your do, mother. Do you? Yes, I do. Oh. I do indeed. Oh. And um, yeah, I understand your mother is from Ireland. And yeah, she's you, from Barbara little village in Tipperary. Right in the center of the republic. Tipperary. Yes. And mm-hmm. I understand after the West Wing was finished, you spent a whole semester at the university there in Galway. Yeah, in the National University of Ireland. Tell yes, me how that affected you going back to your roots. Well, it was, you know, I had this fantasy about going to college one day because I had, you know, abandoned it when I was young. My dad wanted me to go to college and I wanted to go to New York and be an actor. And we fought over it endlessly until I committed and went to New York. And then he said, you know, he, he supported my dream. But... Uh, until I committed, uh, he, he thought I was, you know, 
bonkers. And, of course, I was bonkers. I think you've got to be bonkers <laughs> to go off to New York at age 18 without an education. Um, but, um, I, I, you know, I've I, I, I read an awful lot in my adult life. You know, I, I fell in love with reading and, and, uh, and tried to associate myself with intelligent people, educated people. Mm-hmm. I love poetry mm-hmm. and uh, Shakespeare. So I'm, I, in a lot of ways, I'm self-educated, but I, 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 I guess I was yearning for that romantic image of college days, you know, yes. which I never had. And uh, so after the West Wing was uh, canceled in the spring of 06, I got an invitation to receive an honorary degree from the National University of Ireland at Galway. And I was delighted. I went over, and uh, after the ceremony, there was a reception, and the president of the university asked me what my plans were now that the West Wing was finished. And I said, well, I have enough degrees. I need an education. Would you allow me to come here and study for at least one semester? Oh, he says, if you're serious, you'd be as welcome as the flowers. And so I came in August of uh, 06, and I enrolled uh, at the campus, uh, the main campus of the National University of Ireland at Galway. I rented an apartment uh, downtown right on Galway Bay, and uh, my wife joined me, and we had four really incredible months where we lived like a couple of uh, uh, young people again. A couple you of know. students, yeah. Yeah, it was a remarkable time. Uh, I didn't realize how much energy it took mm. to go to school. Had you yeah. intended to do a whole year? I would have done four years if I could mm-hmm. have had the time and the energy and what, what brought um, you away from it after that first? Well, there semester? were so many other demands. You know, you forget you have demands with family and career and uh, other responsibilities that were. Um, I had put everything on hold, you know, when I went to school. And while I was in Ireland, there was a, a lot of demand. I, I had this this notion that I could stay under the, the, the radar, radar, but that was ludicrous, you know, and that wasn't going to happen. Did you get inundated? I did, yeah, I got a lot of things. But, but, you know, all of them were very noble things. I couldn't do them all, but I did some. Very yeah. good. Thank you very much, Mark and Sheen, for taking part in Fresh Dialogues. I'm delighted. Thanks so much for Thank you. having me. You're very brave. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Fresh Dialogues. This is Alison Van Diggelen, with special thanks to Tom Kromkowski and Carol Pecora for technical support, and Kevin McLeod, who wrote and produced our music. Music